Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 81 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 15th of July 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 13. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, and Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We would like to open your Bible this morning to two places if you'd like to Open your Bible, first of all, to Matthew chapter 28. Be careful not to make sure there's enough volume. I don't want to have to strain my voice. I'm such a quiet person, but let's not, uh, I think last week that some thought that uh, we were overblasting. Uh, I know we can't please everybody, but uh, try to find a happy medium there to where that uh, we can all uh, hear well uh, without uh, you know, feeling your insides vibrate and shake when I'm speaking. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18, if you hold your finger there and turn again to the passage that we read last Sunday from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word. Reading first of all from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, the word of God says, now I praise you, brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. And then in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Lord, we thank you so much again today for this time that we can have together, for your word that has been preserved for us, for your spirit that lives within, for each one that is gathered here today, and Father, we know that you know the hearts of each and every one. Lord, we would pray once again if there be one in our midst that's lost, that's never been born again, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that, Father, by the power of your Spirit, you would speak to their hearts this day, and, Lord, that you would allow them to recognize not only their own sinfulness, but that one that we've been singing about that came and died on a cross and shed his blood and rose the third day, that they might have life. And, Father, as we look into your word, we pray that you would just open our understanding Lord, again, you know the needs of each person. You know the hearts of each one and exactly what the needs are here today. We pray that you would meet those as only you can. And that, Father, that you would do it in a way that all the glory and all the honors be yours. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. What are we, number 81 in our series on contending for the faith that we have been going through? And today we're up to part 13 of the glorious church of Jesus Christ. We began last week as we think of the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Thus far, we've looked at the divining of the New Testament church, both the prospective church and the present church. We've looked at the design of the New Testament church, the organization of a New Testament church, the officers of a New Testament church, and now we're looking at the ordinances of a New Testament church. We began last week, and as we read this passage from 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 11, verse 2, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, and he said, And keep the ordinances as I 
delivered them to you. Speaking to the church, there was no question here as an apostle that there were ordinances that were delivered to the church. We talked about just what we meant uh, by this term of being an ordinance and that we believe that there were two ordinances that we can find in Scripture that were delivered to the church. And, of course, we uh, defined very simply, if you would, an ordinance as an outward right instituted by divine authority given for perpetual observance. It's something that is a right, a ceremony that has been given to us by God himself, by divine authority alone, and is something to be uh, observed over and over again. In this case, until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And so we broke that down. The divine authority is Jesus Christ. It is his church that we're talking about. He has given to his New Testament church, the seat of authority in this age, these two rites, these two ceremonies known as baptism and the Lord's Supper as a symbol, as a picture of the gospel to be observed until he returns for his church. Keep in mind that everything with Jesus Christ that his purpose, his whole reason in coming to this earth was to seek and to save that which was lost. We don't need religious ceremonies in our church just to show a bunch of pomp and circumstance and to show how religious that we are uh, and all these different things that man would do it for. The two ceremonies, these two ordinances that have been given to the church are there to picture the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, as we've talked about the church and we've talked about the Holy Spirit, we've talked about so many things, and the focus is always on the lost being saved. It's not God's will that any should perish. Our main purpose in being here is a, as a church is that the gospel can still be proclaimed, and we'll see as we look through this very familiar passage that God has a precise order and precise steps, but he hasn't delivered these ordinances to us just for a bunch of fanfare, just because we need something religious to do, but he has given to us so that in our midst, over and time again, that the gospel will be proclaimed and pictured through these two ordinances. And we began last week by talking about this one that we call believer's baptism. And of course, we looked at a few things concerning that, the meaning, the method, the motive, uh, the must of that baptism. And we want to continue there this morning with those things in mind that we looked at last week. And if you weren't here, well, I don't have time to do that one and this one. But keeping those things in mind that we have already uh, looked at concerning uh, this matter of baptism, I want us to really break it down into two areas. And we won't cover it all today, but really two things as we try to, to bring this matter of baptism together. And let me just answer this, and I'll probably say it again and maybe even again. Is it really matter? You see, today as we talk about these ordinances, we find that, you know, that some would say, well, does it really matter? Uh, does it really matter what we think about baptism? Does it really matter what we think about the Lord's Supper? Well, I guess that depends upon how important the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is into, to you. It does matter. Some would say, well, it, does it matter that people maybe do it different or have different reasons, different meanings for it? People can do what they want, how they want, whenever they want, any way that they want. But what we're talking about is these ordinances were delivered to them 
as the Lord Jesus Christ gave them to us. And that's the way that they're to be practiced. And so if we are going to be a New Testament church, then yes, we will do them as the New Testament said. If we want to just be a church, we can be a church and we can do anything we want to, but not the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is vital. It is important. And so many today would try to take away the importance of it. So first of all, the importance of biblical baptism of baptism that is according to the Word of God. We've already stated that baptism is not, never has been, never will be essential to salvation. But because of that, that's precisely why that some would then devalue its importance because they'd say, well, you know, if a person is saved and they're on their way to heaven, does it really matter? whether they're baptized, whether they're baptized in the right way or any of that because they're saved and on their way to heaven. I mean, it would also say that this gives us reason enough not to make a big deal of it, not to allow it to be divisive because the more important thing would be the gospel. There is nothing more important than the gospel. But again, they have a very weak understanding of the ordinances because the ordinances are about the gospel. They're about picturing the gospel. You see, biblical baptism is of such importance that if you go back, and I've got a number of books, if you'd like to read them, if you haven't read them, many of our Baptist forefathers, they were willing, not just by the hundreds, but by the thousands, to lay down their lives rather than to compromise on this very issue that we're talking about today. If it's not essential to salvation, how could it be so important that Christians would literally lay down their lives and die rather than to compromise on the matter? They had many times over the years, many times they've given their lives but their stand on biblical believers' baptism was a doctrine that was so distinctive to them that they were originally, after being called many different names through history, they were originally called Anabaptist. And even today we're identified, many of us, by a shortened version of that, which is simply Baptist. Does that make us more of a Christian? No. Does that make us better than anybody else out there? No. Will it get anybody to heaven? No. But I'm still glad I am one because I believe if there was any other group that I thought was closer to the word of God, I'd be saying goodbye and that's where I would be going. It's just an identification. But we need to understand even the very name that we identify ourselves by has to do with this doctrine that we're talking about today. Listen to me. I love everyone that's a child of God. And everybody that's not a child of God, I love them so much that I want to get the gospel to them and I want to see them saved, praise God. I don't care what the names and the tags that they might hang up on their churches are. What I do care about is what they're practicing and what they're preaching and what they're living according to this book. I'll tell you this, the Catholics and the Protestants alike so hated our Baptist and Anabaptist forefathers. Why? For more than any other reason for not accepting their infant baptism for not accepting their different methods of baptizing, baptizing that they were martyred. They were murdered for their faith. 
both those that were baptized, allowed themselves to be baptized, and those that were doing the baptizing. They were put to death by the religious groups. They were accused of being rebaptizers. That's what Anabaptist really means. When in fact, they weren't asking anybody to be rebaptized. They were asking for a true biblical baptism in the first place. Not some man-made ritual, but a God-ordained ordinance. Even today, we're sometimes accused of that same thing. Some of you will know that I've been accused of being a rebaptizer. He's one of those cults, one of those guys that rebaptizes. Well, I don't believe anybody needs to be rebaptized. But I've already said, I do believe strongly that every true believer should be biblically baptized and that that should be a requirement of being a part of a New Testament Bible-believing church. Why? Because that's biblical. That's what God said. That's the way he organized his church. Why is biblical baptism so important? Well, first of all, let me remind you that it is important to the believer individually to each individual child of God. We've already looked at that some degree last week. We've already established the, that that must of baptism is that we must first believe, repent, and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We also talked about the meaning and the motive of baptism. So for the one that's believed, the one that's then been baptized, why is it so important why is this so important? Well, first of all, because it identifies that believer with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. First of all, you can look back, and we won't for the sake of time, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, you'll find Jesus himself being baptized by John. John the Baptist, John the, the baptizer. So we're following the example that Jesus Christ has set forth. But I will reread again. From Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and verse 3 to 5, the Word of God says this Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, if that's the case, in other words, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, baptism, true biblical baptism, it's important to the believer because it identifies that believer with the Lord Jesus Christ by following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, by picturing his burial, his death, his resurrection, and identifying yourself as dead with Christ and alive with Christ as he was risen again. Why is it important? Because it's very often the very first public testimony for a child of God, for a Christian. You see, baptism is a public testimony of repentance and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God says in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 37 and 38, 
Now then, when they heard this, heard what? The message of the gospel that, preacher, that, that Peter had just preached to them. This is the forming of the very first church that ever existed on earth, the first church at Jerusalem. Now when they heard this, the Bible says they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They heard the gospel message the Holy Spirit got a hold of their heart. The very next question out of their mouth is, men and brethren, what shall we do? God spoken to us. God showed us our sin. God showed us who the Lord Jesus Christ is. What shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent. Repent, turn from your sin and turn to Christ and then be baptized. Now some would take this passage and I'm not gonna dwell here. Some would take this passage and, and baptize only in the name of Jesus Christ only because if it's saying there for, uh, in, you, in the name of Jesus Christ, but we'll see that the Bible tells us more than just that one verse. But what I want you to recognize there is that, hey, when you hear the gospel message, and when the Holy Spirit convicts your soul of sin and you first say, what do I need to do about it? The first thing you need to do is repent and come to Christ. But then the very next thing that you need to do is to be baptized. It is a public testimony of your repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's the action that has been brought forth because of what God has done in your heart. It's also being obedient to his command. Obedience is the pathway to joy. We've already looked at our passage that, that we read this morning in Matthew chapter 28. Folks, may I just remind you as we will be looking closer at this passage today and next week, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, now the whole word of God, every word in there is just as much God's word as any other. This was Jesus' parting message this is what Jesus wanted them to grasp as he was leaving this world. This is what he left with them. All power, he said, is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all the way, even to the end of the world. You see, Jesus commanded that. Jesus said that. This is not just something that the church has come up with. It's not a denominational thing. It is that this is what Jesus left us to do. So it's important to the believer because it is important for you as a child of God to be obedient to what Christ wants for you. You see, Peter preached it. There in, in chapter 2, verse 38 that we read, Peter preached it to that first church in Jerusalem, the very first church, the very first gospel message that was preached. What do we need to do? You need to repent and be baptized. We said last week, John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus put it very, very simple. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, Keep my commandments. I made the statement in the Bible study time this morning. We can look at a lot of places, but 
basically what the Word of God tells me. If you allow me to put it just in my simple vernacular, Jesus is saying, I don't want to hear your words. I don't want to hear your mouth bubbling off about how much you love me and how much you love the Lord. And you come in and you, you sing, oh, how I love Jesus. And yet it's not there in your life. He said, if you love me, follow my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. If you love me, live according to my word. It's cheap to say, I love the Lord. It's cheap to say, I'm a Christian. Because you live in a place where that doesn't cost you anything. Well, you think it does sometimes. <laughs> Some of my friends are going to think I'm weird. <laughs> They're going to think I'm really strange. Jesus said, if you love him, live according to his word. His commandment, the very first commandment, the very first step of obedience as a child of God is to be baptized. It doesn't make you more of a Christian. But it's the first thing you're going to have to do to be an obedient Christian if you're going to just quit saying I love him and actually prove it with your life. We can't just put it aside and pretend that it doesn't matter. You see, why is biblical, Bible, believers, baptism, why is it important? Because it's important to the individual. It's important to the way that they start their Christian life. But it's important to the body inclusively as a whole as well. You see, it's important for the inclusion of believers only into the body. The Bible sets forth a very clear principle. We've already looked at this when we looked at what the local church was, what a New Testament church was, and that it's believers. It's not just a bunch of people coming together. It's people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It can't be a New Testament church any other way. One of the reasons that certainly that we make it important that a person must have followed the Lord and believers' baptism before they become a part of this local body is because that's your first step of obedience the Bible gives you. And so that's the way, okay, if you haven't really been saved and been willing to follow the Lord and, and, and believers' baptism, then you're certainly not serious about being a part of the body. It would be wrong to do so. It's also important for our stand on Scripture. You see, I realize, folks, and, and, and you think it's hard? How long have I been preaching now? 30 years, a bit longer, something like that? It doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Simple truth is we live in a world where I, I fully recognize, and I, no, I don't like it in my flesh, the fact that, man, a lot of those people out there think I am a weirdo. <laughs> they really do. And a lot of them think I'm just... Narrow-minded and old-fashioned because we still, we still want to just stick by that book. I mean, the church age has changed. And we've got liberalism. We've got modernism. We've got all these things that have, that have become a part of it. And, you know, God in heaven knows. I don't want to do anything to keep people away intentionally. I'd love to see the place packed out. That's not my main purpose in being here, and it shouldn't be yours. You know, I believe this. I believe we could have more people here this morning. I believe we could pack out and have to bring out more chairs if every one of us in here were really doing everything that we ought to for the local church that we're a part of and getting others in. But the truth is, just getting people in is not what we're here for. But let me tell you this not trying to keep them away or not doing any of those things. I'm saying 
This is just one step. I believe a very important step. We've got to stick by the Word of God. We can't allow people to say, oh, but isn't it so much more Christian-like? Just to go ahead and let that person that, you know, they weren't dunked, but, you know, they got wet. <laughs> they were baptized. They had good intentions by it. Wouldn't it be better just to let them go ahead and, 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 and be part of the, of the body? They were serious. They were genuine. Well, you know, I know, and it wasn't done by a church. You know, somebody did it in the bathtub at home, or they did it in the swimming pool, or they did it here, or they did it there. Does it really matter? They were serious. They were genuine about it. Does it really matter if it was done by a church or if it was done by an individual? There's all kinds of things that we, questions that will arise. I'm saying to you, I believe that whatever biblical baptism is, yes, it's God. Jesus is building his church. Jesus organized his church. Jesus gave us the plan to follow. We don't have the right to change it because we think it would be nicer or we think it would be easier or we think it would be anything. Speaking the truth in love. How dare we get all haughty and think that we're better than somebody else or that we're smarter than somebody else? And how dare we ever depart from the truth? Speaking the truth in love, it is important to the body with the inclusion of believers only in the body for our stand on Scripture while avoiding liberalism and modernism and ecumenicalism and all of those other isms of our day. It's important as a constant reminder of what Christ has done for us, but also of what Christ has done in us. Yes, what he did for us, but it's not just some faraway event that happened 2,000 years ago. It's identifying me with it right now in the present, this day. You see, by baptism, we're showing that picture that that old man is dead, that there's a new one that's been raised in newness of life, the Bible says. That's what it's showing. That's what it's there. Biblical baptism is important. I would say to you this morning, and God forgive me if I'd ever say it in an unloving way, but God forgive, forgive me if I would ever depart from the truth that no other baptism is sufficient. It was important enough that those that have gone before us have been willing to lay down and die for it, and yet we think it's not important enough just to do it in our churches when it doesn't cost us anything. Is it important enough if they were willing to die for it, is it important enough for us to at least stand upon it? You see, it should be. And if it is, if it really is important to us, we've got to answer another question. If it's that important to us, what exactly really does distinguish biblical baptism from any other so-called baptism? You see, we've noticed some things already from Scripture. And I've just tried to outline some things as I see the imperatives. Not only the importance of biblical baptism, but the imperatives of biblical baptism. There are some imperatives from Scripture that if any of them are taken away, 
You no longer have biblical baptism that Christ has left as the ordinance for his church, but you have a man-made ritual that man has designed himself in his place. First of all, we've already seen, for it to be biblical baptism, the only baptism that is biblical is believer's baptism, the right person, believers only. That's what we've already read. We don't need to turn back there and read it. We read it last week. We read it in Acts chapter 2 there a while ago. Repent and be baptized. Nowhere in the Word of God do you ever find even one unbeliever being baptized. Repentance and faith always precede baptism. There isn't one scripture, not one verse, that illustrates anywhere in the Word of God an infant being baptized, and we have not one instruction anywhere to do such a thing. Biblical baptism must be baptism that follows salvation. Biblical baptism is believer's baptism. Secondly, not only is biblical baptism not only does it have to be the right person, it has to be for the right purpose. Symbolic only, not a sacrament. We've covered what the biblical meaning of baptism is. If it's done with any other purpose in mind, it simply is no longer biblical baptism. It is imperative that baptism, in order to be biblical, is administered as an ordinance in the church, symbolically picturing the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not as a sacrament that bestows any kind of grace on the individual. We've already looked in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. We just read the passage in Romans chapter 6 there a while ago. There is no question as to the symbolism that baptism is there for. There is no question that two imperatives of biblical baptism is that first of all and foremost, a person must be born again and that once they become a believer, that there is this symbolic ceremony that they go through. We've looked at all of those reasons for that, but that's what makes it biblical baptism. The right person, the right purpose, thirdly, the right practice. What do you mean, preacher? I mean immersion only. We covered that to some degree already. We talked about the method. We know that biblical, that biblical baptism is baptism by immersion because, first of all, the examples we have in the Word of God, the examples of Scripture, every example that we have of baptism in Scripture where we're given any details whatsoever about what's going on, there's either much water, there's people going into the water, there's people going down into the water, there's people coming up out of the water. There's not one instance anywhere that we would have any reason to suppose that any other method other than immersion would be biblical. Sprinkling, pouring, all these other methods, they're nowhere in the Word of God. They are man-made by religious organizations, and they are completely foreign to the Word of God. So we know 
that biblical baptism is by immersion because of every example that we're given, but also because of the etymology of the word. What does baptize mean? We said already, it is a Greek word that has been transliterated into our Bibles and it carries a meaning. And the meaning of that word is to dip, to submerge, to plunge, to immerse, to put under, always. Never an exception. That's what the word means. Nowhere is the word ever used to describe a, a sprinkling or a pouring. There are completely different words. I didn't even bother to write them down so I wouldn't have to worry about pronouncing them. There's two separate words. I looked them up. <laughs> that specifically means to pour. That specifically means to sprinkle. The Bible simply wouldn't have used a word that means to immerse if it meant to sprinkle or to pour when there were other words that were just as good that would have said that if that was as good. Grammatically, go to your Bible sometime and just try in those places where it says baptize instead of the word immerse, try putting in there sprinkle or pour and just see how foolish that it sounds. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We know it's by immersion because of the examples, because of the etymology, and because of the expression of the symbolism. We talked about the purpose. We saw the symbolism that is there, picturing, picturing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a ceremony. It is there for the purpose of picturing something, of symbolizing something. Immersion is the only practice that correctly symbolizes that. I've never seen anybody try to bury a dead body by sprinkling a little bit of dirt over it or by even pouring a little bit of dirt over it. That's no picture of burial. This is a ceremony that Christ has left for his church to picture the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everywhere we look in Scripture, it's by immersion. Every time that we look into the Word of God, we find that it is for this purpose of picturing the symbol that is there. We find that it's the only word that is used in the whole Word of God. And it means to put them under. It's the only one that pictures what it's there for, the death burial, and resurrection. Only immersion can properly, can properly symbolize that. Any baptism using any practice other than total immersion simply isn't biblical baptism. There's one other thing, I believe. You see, in order for it to be biblical baptism, I'm not worried about whether you agree with me or not, but I'm trying to show you clearly from the Word of God in order for it to be biblical, it does have to be the right person. It has to be done for the right purpose. It has to be the right practice that he's left for us to do it. But fourthly, there's another distinctive. It has to be by the right power, the right authority. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The simple truth is I'm going to make a statement to you today, but you're going to have to wait to understand why I'm making it. Because I don't want you to leave here. I want you to leave here today. If you never, I may die 
You may have a better preacher by two weeks from now. <laughs> but God willing, the simple truth is, I want you to know that I believe if you look in the Word of God, you'll find four imperatives. You can't take away any one of them and it still be biblical baptism. I fully recognize people's heart. A lot of things that are done outwardly, if the heart's not right, it doesn't matter what you do outwardly. But just because the heart is right, it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what you do outwardly. I realize people can do stuff genuine. They do it because it's what they've been taught, what they've been told. And I don't want you to do anything today because Pastor Larry Curtis told you something or taught you something. I want you to know because this is the Word of God. And please, come to me and show me if you can come with any other explanation that this matter, which is so important, that Jesus Christ himself has designed into his church one of two ceremonies that he's given this church to picture the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These four imperatives. The right person. The right practice. The right purpose. But the right power. Authority. You see, people don't like that word. And I understand. I understand. I understand on the one hand, you see, My flesh is probably worse to handle than any of you. <laughs> and I can be just as stubborn as the next person. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. But I'll tell you this. The simple truth is, is that in the flesh, naturally, we don't like to be told that we have to do something. We don't like commands. That's why it's, it's a whole lot easier for people to accept Jesus as their Savior it is as their Lord, to put him upon the throne, to be the authority in their lives. And that's challenging and that's difficult. And I understand that. And this is probably, again, an area that's very divisive amongst the churches. Whose authority? Under whose authority can a person be baptized? Who has the authority to do so according to the Word of God. You see, I, there's an awful lot of people, and you can find a lot of churches and a lot of preachers that tell you that it really doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter who does the baptizing as long as it's done. The people are genuine about what they're doing, and they get wet. That's all that matters. Can I remind you, first of all, that our definition of an ordinance was an outward rite instituted by divine authority. Remember those words. It is an outward rite, ceremony, ritual. But it's instituted by divine authority, and it's given for its perpetual observance. An ordinance, and therefore baptism, which is one of those ordinances, is given by divine authority. Now, I further stated in that sermon that the divine authority is Jesus Christ, that that divine authority has given to his New Testament church the seat of authority in this age, these two rites, these two ceremonies, baptism and the Lord's Supper as a symbol, as a picture of the gospel and is to be observed until he returns for his church again. Can we biblically support that statement? Well, I believe to start with what we've read here from Matthew chapter 28, 
verses 18 to 20, Jesus states emphatically, what is, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me. That word power there can also be translated authority, by the way. All power, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. He has absolute sovereign power, sovereign authority over everything. He is the divine authority because he is God. Under his, Christ, divine authority, he sends forth these apostles with some specific instructions. And we've already established that these apostles are the foundation of the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of which Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone, that he, Jesus Christ himself, is building. We've also seen that the apostle was the first office of that glorious church, that these instructions were being given to here, but that that office passed away but that these instructions weren't meant just for the 11. Judas wasn't there. It wasn't meant just for those 11 that were there that day, but it was meant for the New Testament church that he was building through them that would start. They tarried. They go to Jerusalem. The very first thing of the gospel is preached, and the first church springs into existence. And they're told specifically how to do that. So I want to say to you today in closing, and we'll come back and we'll look closer at that, Folks, it's important. God designed his church. How dare we change it? The most important thing in everything we do is not to prove to somebody else that we're right. It's to be right before God. I got news for you. I don't care how hard. I don't, well, I can, I can use me for an illustration. I don't care how hard I try. I don't care how much that I study, how much that I prepare. Give me a chance. I'll make a few more people mad. It's going to happen. I, I, I can't figure out why everybody doesn't just love every word that I preach. But it don't happen. And you know what? I don't mean this to be unkind. I don't really care either. I really don't. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to preach bad. I don't want to make people mad. But I want to please him. I want to please him above all else. Today, this isn't important because I'm trying to make it important. It's not important just because the, that name above our door happens to be Baptist and we're talking about baptism. When we looked, folks, we got we to keep our mind, what is the focus of our lives? What is the focus of everything that we're here on this earth for? What is the focus of the church and everything that you do? It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives are focused on so many things. So many other things are filling us up, and yet that's what it's all about. That's what Jesus came for. That's why he's left us here. And I'm saying, yes, it's his church. He designed it for a specific reason, and he gave us two things. And the most important thing in all of it is that you, as an individual, Know without a shadow of a doubt that you're saved and on your way to heaven. I've said it so many times and I'll continue to say it till my, till my dying breath. It's not something that you need to wonder about. There are many things in life that you may like to know about. There is not anything in life that is more important 
then you knowing with absolute certainty that your sins are forgiven, that you've been made that new creation, that you died with Jesus, that your old person is dead, that you were raised in newness of life. Sorry, not perfect yet, but a whole lot different. Matter of fact, a whole new creation from what you were and one that day by day by day by day you're going to be made more like the Savior. You see, today the most important thing is that you're a child of God. Baptism is not important for salvation. It's important for a lot of other reasons that we've talked about today. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know with absolute certainty? And if you're basing it on anything, I'm just going to make it as simple as I know how. If you're basing it on anything in the world, except the fact that somewhere, not that you started going to church, not that you became religious, not these ideas that you began to, to, to think about somewhere, some point in your life. You have humbled yourself before a holy God. You have known that you are a sinner, that there is sin in your life, and you have sought forgiveness for that sin because you know the consequences of that sin is death. And there's only one way that you can go to God, your creator, the holy God, and you can ask for that mercy and you can ask for that forgiveness. And that's because of what Jesus Christ did for you over 2,000 years ago now at Calvary. He said, I'm taking his place. Yes, death is the wages. I'm dying for that person. Have you humbled yourself as a sinner and sought forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ did for you? If you've called out to God genuinely from your heart, because you wanted to be rid of that sin, trusting in the blood of Christ to cleanse you from that sin. If you've given your life to him, then yes, you're a child of God. If you're basing it on anything else, why would you want to do that? Why? Have you found something else in the Bible that we've missed? You need to know that today. I don't care how young or how old or who you are. You don't know that you've got another hour. You don't know that you've got another day. You know that you've got right now. And you need to know that with certainty. And then yes, say it again. Once you come to know Jesus Christ, you ought to be willing to do as he says. <laughs> Repent and be baptized. And to be biblical baptism. I believe with all my heart, I've given you scripture. I've shown you what biblical baptism is, how God designed it, what Jesus gave to his church. That's what we need to be following today. Do you know that you're saved today? Have you followed the Lord in believers baptism? Do you want to just continue to be disobedient? Or do you want to do something about it today? You see, we're getting ready to sing a song. And I want to invite you this today on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ that if you don't know that you're a child of God, as we sing our closing song this morning, just as I am without one plea, would you be willing to come just like you are? Don't worry about what anybody else is thinking or anybody else is saying or what you've done or what you haven't done right now. If you don't know that you're born again, won't you come? Let somebody take the Bible. Let somebody take the Word of God and show you how you can know that. And Christian, you know there is a point. You know that there was a time. I don't care if you can really give me the date and the hour on the clock, but I do 
You're not going to have been there and missed it and not know it was there. Has there been a time, not some gradual becoming religious, but there been a time when you went before God as a sinner, repented, had your sin dealt with? If not, you need to today. If you have, and if you followed that step of obedience to identify yourself with Christ, to show publicly before the whole world, yes, I have repented of my sins. I am a new person in Christ. Today, will you come and do that? You come and say, I know I'm saved, but I need to be baptized, and I need biblical baptism. Maybe you're here today. You've been saved, and you've been baptized. And maybe you had the best intention in all of the world. But if you look at it according to the Word of God, it wasn't biblical baptism. Maybe it took place before you put your faith in Christ. It doesn't work. Maybe it took place because you were in a church that thought that you needed that to be saved and it was done for the wrong purpose. And somebody put you in the water in order to save you. It doesn't work. Maybe it was done in some other manner other than by immersion. You can be genuine and God bless you for that. But if God's shown you there is nothing else in the Bible, folks, you need to do it the Lord's way today. We'll look at more of this next week. Was it done under the authority, under his authority, under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ through his church? We'll see why that's so important next time. But in Scripture, he's the one that was given that authority. He's the one that gave it to the apostles, the foundation of the church. He's the one that gave us that command. And today, we're to carry it forth. So today, if for any of these reasons, God has dealt with you. We're not here to make a show today. But you need to deal with it. And you know what? There's one person that will want you to leave here today and think, well, not important that I do it now. I can take care of this later. I can deal with this some other way. Satan's the only one that wants you to do that. He wants you to procrastinate. He'll want you to do it some other time, some other way. But for God, it's now. Now is the accepted term. Now is the time that you need to deal with it while the Holy Spirit, because I promise you this, I don't care how great a person you are, if the Holy Spirit's not encouraging you to do it, you're not going to do it. <laughs> you need to do it while the Spirit is dealing with you today. So we're going to stand, and we're going to sing. And if you need to come, then you please do so. Mm -hmm.